Welcome. I am a small, fuzzy, middle-aged woman, unexpectedly named Turl Kronberg. And in the very front of my brain, I have an exceptional little bit that I call the wise turtle. She is the most thoughtful, observant, and compassionate part of me. And this podcast is her platform for speaking to the world. Her aim is to try to understand the patterns of growth in the universe and use those discoveries to help us all uncover the most important, inspiring story of who we are and where we want to go as Earthlings. I hope that you enjoy her musings. Namaste. is going to be kind of a standalone because I hope that anyone would be able to benefit from this discussion and not just someone who's interested in the philosophy and the and the complexity and patterns of the universe which is what I tend to talk about but this one is going to be kind of a a basic standalone offering for anyone to listen to because there's so much discomfort in the world right now. There's so much feeling of a lack of control. So many people say it's out of control and it's chaos and things are being disrupted. And that's true. I mean, that's always true. But that's probably more so true in any present moment than it has been in the past, um, in general, overall. I mean, obviously, there are more chaotic and unpredictable times than others in general, but um, specifically at moments. But in general, over the history of humankind, we have never had so much complexity, so much what some call chaos unpredictability. And I think it's more scary than it needs to be. And humans do that. I mean, we have imagination. And that's why we like horror stories and mysteries and things like that. So we have this imagination where we think things might be worse than they really are sometimes. Um, You know, just just because we can. We have this imagination and and we have the ability to ruminate and to worry and to think about the future. And if we're not in a good place, um, if we're scared, then the future can seem even scarier than it probably really is, given the, you know, the, the general pattern of life is, is fairly balanced. Um, I mean, we do have chaotic times, we do have dangerous times, but we also have, you know, very understandable and uh, beautiful times. 
And that has continued to happen throughout history and probably will continue to happen simply because of the way the universe works. You know, it does sort of balance itself out. Um, you know, there are high peaks and there are low troughs and then there are high peaks again and then there are low troughs again and it just keeps happening like waves in the ocean things go up and then things go down and there is overall balance and that seems to be the way life works and if you're interested in that we can go into uh, more technical details about the science and the math and the philosophy of that um, in some of my other things which I'll link to probably in my podcast um, I mean the blog post for this podcast but I'd like to talk just more generally about how you can personally be more comfortable with the unpredictable times and the possibility of the future being more unpredictable simply because there, there's more technology, there are more interactions, there are more humans interacting, you know, via the internet and via telephones and via transportation around the world. There are more individuals interacting and not just humans but interacting with other species and interacting with technology so there's just going to be more options out there so we're going to have more unpredictability just because there are more options there are more things that we can do more things that can be done to to us so um, being comfortable with this chaos this unpredictability this randomness um, is something I think everybody can benefit for, from. And I have definitely been one who has benefited from that. Um, my personal experience is that uh, many years ago, almost over a decade ago now, um, some really crazy stuff happened to me, or it felt really crazy to me anyway. Um, very unpredictable stuff happened, I should say. Things that I wasn't expecting, and, and most of the things I didn't want to happen um, and I was really scared and I was really sad and alone and felt lost in this sort of maelstrom of you know what is going on in my life um, and I've talked about that a little in other podcasts and maybe I'll link to that as well um, but yeah I mean everybody goes through times like these and mine might have been more extreme than others I ended up homeless um, my husband left me and was cheating on me and uh, but there were a bunch of other things that happened too I ended up going to a Buddhist center all the way across the, the country on the other side of the United States and uh, did some other weird things including going to a neuro-linguistic programming conference down in Florida and my so my life was a little weird and I, I lived on Cape Cod very briefly in uh, one of my dad's uh, rental apartments and it was just all very messy and uh, kind of at the beginning of it plus in the middle of it I met a bunch of definitely a couple of really interesting people who I got to know very well and fell in love with um, and very much appreciated in my life so it wasn't all bad I should make that very clear I mean actually going out to California was both good and bad I, I met some beautiful people out there too in a in a workshop for permaculture 
and uh, who I have not stayed in contact with, although I would have loved to. Uh, but yeah, so it wasn't all bad. I, it's very clear that I had some beautiful experiences during all this. And so part of what happened when this first started was that I realized I could no longer make plans. And while I wasn't a huge planner, I mean, I liked some spontaneity in my life. I liked some unpredictability and, and I was, a, I mean, I'm, I went to art school, um, not that I'd planned to do that, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, someone kind of pushed me into doing it and, uh, it wasn't what I wanted and I still kind of regret doing, not regret doing, but I, I still wish that something else had happened and I had gone a different direction, but, um, but, you know, I, I got some interesting things out of art school. Uh, mostly, I got the idea of being, um, of critique, uh, being something you wanted, and something you appreciated. Uh, and it, it, it didn't matter whether the critique was positive or negative. You, you wanted all of it. You wanted to know what other people were experiencing when they were looking at your work. You know, how it was affecting them. You wanted that feedback because that helped you learn about what you wanted to do, how effective you were being, um, or if what you were putting out there was what, you know, you thought they were going to be getting, you know, you were putting it out there with a certain idea in mind, maybe, or maybe not, um, but getting feedback helped you understand, you know, what other people are like just in general. I mean, it doesn't mean it's wrong if you put it out there and they're getting a different experience, you know, it's, it's still fine. You know, it's just learning about the universe and learning about differences. So that would, that was the, probably the best thing I got out of college and, and obviously some friends and some experiences, but so I had kind of always been someone who liked planning though. Um, I'm a very logical person and have been most of my life. I, I was always very interested in science and math and and sort of understanding, you know, how things worked. Um, I was never like an uber geek. I never, uh, I was never really interested in dissecting things so much. I did take apart some some com some uh, toy computer things when I was a kid, but it wasn't super interesting to me. I just I actually lower liked the design and the and the materials and the shapes and the, and the, I mean, to some extent, the functions as well. I mean, I liked what they did, but I wasn't, I wasn't so much interested in sort of understanding what a circuit board was and, and figuring out how it worked and stuff. I wasn't interested in the tiny little details. I was just interested in sort of the big picture of how it all fit together, I guess. Um, but nonetheless, I was still very interested in, in organizing and structure and function and how things worked um, in, a, in a more big picture kind of way. So when all of this craziness happened to me, I had to step back and realize that I wasn't in control of this. This wasn't something that I could change because I had tried. I tried very, very hard to change everything. Um, not because I was a control freak, but because I wanted what I wanted. And this is part of the stages of grief that you go through. Um, if you've heard of those, the, the stages of grief are in general, there are, they are, um, shock, anger, 
negotiation or bargaining, and then depression, sadness, and then um, sort of a resolution and to the to the whole story. Um, and that's Elizabeth Kubler Ross uh, talked about those stages of grief, and those are also the stages of learning. I've understood. Uh, and I talk about this in some other podcasts as well. That I went through this, you know, when when my husband first started cheating on me and he told me he was going to move out. Um, and I was just, I was in shock. I mean, it made no sense. And like, we loved each other. And while we were struggling, um, you know, things were, we were, we were a good couple. It, it was a challenge. We both had, you know, interesting backgrounds that made us sort of a little volatile, a little weird and goofy. And we were in a situation that was more challenging. Our environment was more challenging, just that we were having a hard time, like, you know, living, like having a home. But we loved each other very much and we enjoyed each other's company and we and we were good together. We hadn't, we didn't have a chance to do much together because we were so challenged environmentally because we, we, we weren't able to really do what we wanted to do. Although I was starting to, and I'm not sure if he was, I don't think he ever felt like he was able to do what he wanted to do. So I think that played a big role in it. Um, but anyway, um, we were, I mean, we were very much in love. I, the environment was making it challenging for us to be together successfully um, individually or as a couple it didn't matter we were it, it just it was just an environment that wasn't supportive of humanity in general um, but anyway we we struggled so much through this time period and so I was in shock and then I was angry of course but my anger quickly subsided because I am not a my anger is my anger stage is uh my personality uh the anger stage barely exists it's like 10 minutes long <laughs> or something you know it's very short very brief um i definitely don't stay angry for very long which i feel i'm very lucky for that's just genetics um i believe i just happen to be a not very angry type um but I did go through a big period of bargaining negotiation where I was trying to control things because I wanted what I had. I wanted my beautiful husband and my creative life and my weird, unpredictable, <laughs> like we didn't know what we were going to do, but it seemed exciting. The potential for an interesting, great future was always there for me. Uh, and maybe he lost that. Maybe something happened and he lost that. but. Um, I still very much had it, so it was. It made no sense to me that he would leave me, um, and I understand. You know, it, it it was entirely environmental, and he was scared. Uh, but there's a whole lot of other story to it that happened. But um, and I'm still waiting for him I'm, for the things, to, the environment to get better, so that we can actually be together again. Um, even though that was so long ago, and it, you know, some people might have given up by now. I'm not giving up because that's not who I am and that's not my relationship with my husband um, I still see all the beautiful potential that I always have so 
I went through that negotiation bargaining stage of trying to control things. And then I so utterly failed. My failure was just, just boggling the amount of failure that I had in my attempts to fix things. Um, the things just went so wrong, <laughs> like completely backfired in all of my attempts to control things. And now I'm not saying that this is always the case, but in the stages of grief, the time that you're going through the bargaining stage, you're not rational or you're not particularly irrational. You're a little bit rational, but you're still missing a big part of it. You're still missing some elements of, uh, of understanding how your goals and the world's goals are relating to one another. So we fail. We have to fail during that stage. I mean, you can have like mild successes here and there. And, and I did. I had some mild successes when I was going through this. You know, some of the things that I did um, briefly made things better. Uh, but then, like I said, they just exponentially backfired. So, and I hurt a lot of people. And a lot of hurt, people hurt me. And, and it was just a big mess. Um, I mean, I love the people who... I went through that with and and apologize to anyone that I've hurt uh, knowing that I was doing it with with so much love in in my heart um, and so much ignorance and confusion flailing that's that's the term that I tend to use for that stage is the flailing stage I'm just trying anything to see what what sticks um, and almost none of it sticks and you tend to make things worse because you're flailing. So this is the stage where you're trying to control things, but you don't understand how the things work. So you're going to fail. And so this is what I want to talk about, about how to get out of that as quickly as possible. Um, I mean, you're going to do it. It's, it's just a part of your brain's process. It's just a part of, you know, how humanity works is that we go through these stages in, you know, in understanding life. We have to test things out. It's experimentation. That's, that's what being intelligent is all about is testing things out. You come up with a theory. You say, I think, I think this is how things work. I'm going to try to see what happens. So it's making predictions. And that's what the brain does. The brain, the brain takes in information and it has a goal in mind. And so you take the information you have and you say, how do I think we might be able to get from point A to point B? I'm at point A right now, but I want to get to point A, point B. What's my prediction for the best route to get there? What tactics would uh, other individuals, what words, you know, whatever. How can I do it? How can I accomplish it? And so we make this prediction about what will work. And so we try it and we test it out and we find out that we didn't have all the information we needed. We weren't connecting the dots properly. We weren't realizing that there was something in between point A and point B that was going to be in our way the way we were predicting it you know we want to go in the straight line but reality doesn't work that way you can almost never go in the straight line very simple things yeah 
you know, if I want to type the word the on my computer, I can go lean over and type T-H-E and it'll probably work. Although you know what? Right now it won't because I'm recording this and Audacity is open and there's no typing in Audacity. There's nothing to type into when I'm recording. There's no fields for typing. So, well, most of the time, this simple little thing should work. It doesn't always work because, you know, it depends on the environment, depends on the situation. There's this often there's something else that won't work, even with simple things. But some simple things do work. So we think that if we make a prediction that something should work, we think it's going to be simple. But with the increasing complexity of the universe, of our lives, especially on the planet Earth, especially in humanity with technology right now, and uh, so many different kinds of things that can happen, um, most of these shortcuts don't exist, or we are not aware of where they are. So we have to go the long route. So knowing this is half the battle. Knowing this is half of the the ability to move through this stage more fluidly. When we start to fail, we can recognize why we're failing. That is because we don't have all the information. We haven't understood that life isn't so direct, that the predictions that we make of what used to work, what might be simple, are usually wrong. And we usually need to incorporate a whole bunch more information and take the time to go through what is called the depression stage, the sadness stage. And that's okay. And so I think that's crucial for people to understanding how to deal with chaos, that it's okay to fail, that it's important to fail, because when we fail, we learn about the complexity of the universe. And while it's still uncomfortable, I mean, there's a reason it's called sadness or depression, um, and the difference between those is, is very little. <laughs> um, depression. depression is really, we just think of as sadness that goes on for longer than we think it should. And the should, the think it should is the problem there. Um, sadness is supposed to go on for as long as it's supposed to go on for. As long as you haven't figured out the solution to a problem, uh, you can be sad. It makes sense to be sad. It's okay. <laughs> so depression is fine. Going through the depression is part of the process because what we get out at the end of it is understanding what we lost. And that's the key. That's the piece of information usually that we're missing the most in trying to solve our problem. Because when we lose something, we may not be aware of why it was so important to us. And that's what we need to reconnect with so that we can find that as a, a starting point. We start from what we really want to, re to get back. Because what we've lost, we can't get back usually. I mean, Occasionally, we find something that we've lost again, but for the most part, the things that we've lost, we can't get back the way that they were. It's just the way the universe works. Entropy changes everything. So while you might find something 
very simple that you've lost and get it back again, the exact same thing. You still missed your chance at using it at some point, so you still lost a little bit of something, but even more so usually when something we've lost, it's, it's just gone. We just can't back, get back that thing exactly as it was. So what we need to do is we need to connect through this depression, sadness stage. This I call it the meditation stage sometimes, um, or the philosophical stage, where it's, it's really understanding what it is that you loved about this thing that you lost, what is really important to you about it, which you really, really deeply want in a more general sense. So not the specific thing. So let's say I lost a sock. We'll be really simple about this. A sock that I liked a lot. The socks that I'm wearing right now are special socks. I like them. They're really cool. They're expensive and hard to find and um, maybe even handmade. I'm not sure, but they're fancy socks. Um, and if I lost one of them, I'd be cranky. But it's not the specific sock that I lost that's so important to me. Um, I mean, maybe it was. Maybe maybe someone gave it to me who died and they handmade it or something. That's not the case right now. But, you know, maybe the actual sock was important to me. And it was unreplaceable. The socks I'm wearing are not that case. I could actually just go buy another pair. But let's imagine that that it was made by somebody I really cared about. So what was important about that to me, the connection, the fact that someone gave it to me, someone made it for me, um, and why was that important? And I could keep going back to what was important about it. What did it help me remember? Like when I wore these socks, maybe they helped me remember someone I love who I don't have around anymore or who I do have around, but, you know, maybe I haven't talked to in a while, so it's just nice to have those socks every day. Um, so the more we go deeply into being comfortable with what we've, what was so important to us and why we're missing it. So being deeply aware of ourselves and who we are and what we want in life and what we, you know, based on what we've done in the past, um, going back to that. And this is going to be challenging for most people. Um, it was even challenging for me and I'm sort of a natural at it. You know, I'm just kind of born to be a philosopher and a thinker and a deep, deeply aware sort of meditative type person. Um, but, you know, it's difficult even for me. So knowing that it's difficult to th think deeply about what we want and what's important to us and wh why things are meaningful to us, knowing that it's difficult is, again, half the battle. Knowing that this there's going to be failure, knowing that there's going to be challenge and that it's going to be uncomfortable will make it less uncomfortable. That's part of the secret, is that expecting things to be challenging, expecting failure, expecting to be overwhelmed, expecting to be scared, expecting to be depressed and sad and hopeless even, expecting that as part of the process will help 
you be more comfortable with the process. And it'll go faster, and it'll go more fluidly, and it'll go more comfortably. Because once we've identified, once we've failed and realized that the thing that we really wanted to get, we can't get again, then we try to figure out what we want that that thing offered us, but in a way that is different, in a way that is more realistic and that works with the rest of the environment and what they want, what the rest of the world wants, has to work with what we want if we are to be successful. You have to align our goals. You hear a lot about that in the artificial intelligence community, talking about goal alignment. Well, we have to understand how to align our goals and the world's goals. And not that we want to change our goals in general, but we want to change the specific goals. I can say, I want to get another sock because I lost my sock. I want my sock again. I want to find my sock. Well, maybe my sock is just, I'm never just going to see it again. It's it. I don't know. Flew out the window, someone else picked it up and then threw it away, you know, or some bird took it and used it for their nest and I'll just never see it again. So letting go of the specifics and understanding that, you know, we just can't 100% have everything that we want all the time. I mean, we all kind of know that anyway, but, you know, just, just understanding that we can't get back everything that we've lost exactly as it was, but we can find something else that helps us get what we do want, what was important to us about that thing that we've lost. We can get more of that because there's plenty of all kinds of different things out in the universe for us. There's just so much diversity. There's so many things out there for us. There's plenty of stuff out there for us. Um, you know, someone breaks up with us. You know, there's still more people out there. There are more humans out there, as they say, there are plenty of fish in the sea. I mean, that doesn't feel true when you've lost someone you really care about. I mean, when my husband left me, um, I did sort of date other people while I was trying to get my husband back. Um, and they were beautiful, wonderful people who I probably would have happily spent the rest of my life with. But that's not how it worked. I wanted my husband back. And it's sometimes it's okay to not let go. You let go of what you had, but you could still look to the future about having something again. That's it's you know if it's still out there. You know maybe you had a, a great job and you were fired. Um, you could still have a great job again and doing the same thing, just in a different way. And I may still have my husband again in the future, but it'll be he'll be a different person by then. And I'm a different person now, so it'll be a different relationship. Um, so I'm not saying give up completely on everything, you know, that you've lost. I'm saying that look for a different way to get it. Look for more options of what you can have. Because, not that there are plenty of fish in the sea, but there are. But there are plenty of things that aren't fish in the sea too and there are just so many options for what you can do I mean I may never have my husband back it may never work out that way but I can focus on still loving him and still being there for him if he wants me um, and that's good for me that's important to me 
it turns out that's what I wanted. What I wanted, what I really thought about it, was not so much him physically living in the house with me and everything, although I do want that. But what I really wanted was to be a support system for him, was to be a solid, loving, um, compassionate human being in his life who was just going to always be there for him if he wanted me. That I was never going to abandon him, I was never going to leave him, I was never going to, you know, in, in any meaningful, deep way, I was never going to walk away from him because that's who I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be there for him. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I wanted for him. And that's what I wanted for the world. And that was good. And that worked out. That has been a success. Once I realized that what was most important to me about that relationship was me being there for him and me loving him, no matter what, it didn't, it didn't matter what he did and the rest of the world did, that that was what I wanted. And that was what was important to me about that relationship, was supporting him. So once we align our goals, not in the specifics, but in the general sense with the rest of the world, then we can move forward. Then we can find success. And that's the whole stages of grief process. And one of the visions that helps me do this, I've, I've done a couple things that have helped me do this better um, so that when I am in the failure stages and when I am in the depression stages, so when I'm, when I'm doing the, the bargaining and the, the, you know, trying to fix things and making the predictions and theories and experimenting and flailing, and then I fail and then I go in the depression stage saying, nothing I'm doing works. Oh, this is hopeless. Um, and usually I'm not that happy when I say that, but <laughs> when it's really bad, you know. So reminding myself, there have been a couple of things that I've done um, going through this time period is that, and sometimes other people do it for me, which is extra helpful. I think someone did it, or I did it. it was, there was a situation like a week or so ago that um, I was really cranky and I was really mad that, that things weren't working out the way I wanted them to, even though it felt so close. Like that shortcut, it felt so close. Like I could just, there was like just a fence in the way. <laughs> like if I could just get over the fence, the, the grass over there, it's greener. I'm going to be over there. I could be. Um, and then some. I don't even, I totally don't remember what the situation was, but someone said something probably on Reddit. Um, and I think I gave them some advice about, about remembering that, that the universe is always perfect. Oh, I think, I think I was looking at my Twitter feed and that's, um, that's my, my pinned, pegged, whatever top post that's always there, the, whatever they call that, um. It's always at the top of my profile. And I was looking for something in my profile and I saw that on the top there that it says something about um, the universe has to try everything. So everything that the universe tries is perfect. Uh, basically, the idea is that there, the universe is random. The universe, but it's random in a deterministic way where it actually has to try all possible combinations of things. 
to make the universe complete. Like everything, all these possible combinations of matter and energy have to happen um, so that it's covered, so that we, you know, it's done. You know, it's like when you're, you're making a, a weaving, you know, you're making a tapestry, you're making some kind of weaving with, with, with yarn or thread or strings or something. Uh, you have to do every single, every single thread, every single line, or if you're knitting, you have to knit every single, um, loop, whatever you call those things. I don't know what they're called actually, but you're knitting. I've knit like all my life and I don't know what those things are called, the loopy things. Um, because if you miss one, the whole thing unravels. So the universe has to do every single little, little loop. Um, and now that, that may not be true. It's possible. That's not true. Maybe there's the reality is totally different, but that's my theory. And that has, that's sort of my, my guiding light. Um, and that has helped me. And that's what I saw, you know, like a week or so ago, I'm pretty sure that's what it was that reminded me that even though I was going through this annoying thing that I couldn't get the thing that I wanted, that that's okay. You know, that's part of the universe, that the universe has to tell this story um, that is my life and its ups and downs. Uh, and the other thing that really helped way back when was that I, well, there were two things. There was actually three things, but um, the two things that were specific about helping me deal with this frustration, this, you know, the the bargaining, the failure, and then the depression of trying to trying to deal with the fact that I failed and that I'd lost the thing that I wanted uh, was uh, there were two things. One was Buddhism. I did, like I said, I did actually go out to the Buddhist center, although they didn't do anything really Buddhist while I was out there, <laughs> which was weird. That was a very strange experience. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> but um, I had been studying Buddhism on my own and particularly the Dalai Lama's books. Um, I really loved the way he was, he's just a beautiful soul, beautiful individual and has had a both a privileged and a challenged life, which tends to give you a really good perspective on reality when you have like extreme, you know, hardships, but you also have a whole lot of support and love um, that really gives you, you know, kind of a superhero status, a superhero mindset that you can accomplish anything because you've managed to survive through these challenges. Um, so Buddhism was one thing, and particularly the Dalai Lama's books. Um, and the other thing was uh, a Byron Katie, this woman. Uh, she goes by Katie. It's complicated. She's sort of interesting. Um, but Byron Katie, and she has a thing called The Work, and it's an inquiry process. Um, and it's very similar to Buddhism. In fact, she married a guy who studies Buddhism. Um, so she has incorporated that into her stuff, but she kind of came up with it on her own. And it's just this, this very simple inquiry process, um, which I've been using as well. Um, I've, I've sort of incorporated a little bit of that into my own inquiry process, um, or I maybe got the idea of my own inquiry process that I have, which is called speaking up. Um, it's my own process. So, you know, kind of all that really, the Buddhism and the Byron Katie sort of led to where I am now of incorporating this process. And I really encourage you um, to look into that process, which I've covered 
um, and will cover again multiple times um, because it's so important and I found it so useful. And one other thing that more recently has helped me, and I'm just going to put this in thing. This is sort of the last little thing that I'll talk about because I know this has gone on longer than I wanted it to for a general podcast, is the idea of flow. Um, and my beautiful friend Peter Draws, um, that's a YouTube channel and a lot of other things, um, has especially delighted me when he does these he just does drops of ink or paint or something into water and just films them. And he did one with glowing ink once um, that this is just beautiful. And that's actually, I think, his most viewed video. Um, it's got millions of views, or over a million views anyway, but I think it's got more. Um, glow ink. I'll link to it in the, in the blog for this podcast. Um, but there's something about that that's just so reassuring to us as humans because it helps us see how the chaos can be beautiful and can be comfortable. So if you take a little drop of ink or paint or something, it, it, some kinds of paints work better, better than others. The, the more watery it is, like a watercolor paint will work better than, say, a you know, oil-based paint. Yeah, I don't use oil-based paint. But if, you know, or food coloring or anything, you know, and just just try it. Um, just physically do this and for yourself and just watch it. You know, you can watch videos too, but do it yourself at some point as well. Um, you know, just get a clear glass of water, a bottle of water, just clear, um, and drop some, you know, watery ink into it or food coloring or something. And just watch it and realize that and every single time you do it, it's going to look different, right? Um, because that's chaos. Because there are so many molecules, so many atoms in there, all doing their own thing. You know, it's mostly molecules. It's mostly water. You know, H2O. Two hydrogens, one oxygen, you know, stuck together. But there, there's some other things in there. I just recently learned about the oxygenation of water and how there's almost no extra oxygen in the water way down deep, which is why there are so few fish down there, because they can't breathe. Um, the fish actually breathe the extra oxygen that's in the water. That's So it's the not water that's in water. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, I thought they had some other process in their, their bodies where they took the water out of, took the oxygen out of the water and spit out hydrogen, which makes no sense now that I think about it. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so in your little bottle of water, your clear clear bottle of water, you know, there are all kinds of things going on in there. And so every time you drop the, the ink or the, the paint or whatever it is, food coloring, into that, it's going to do something different because those molecules are doing different things on a, on a, you know, microscopic level. And so every time the, the ink hits it, it's going to flow some new way and the shape of the bottle or the glass is going to you know, change it and how the, how things are moving. You know, our planet is always moving. It's spinning. It's spinning around itself on its axis. It's spinning through, it's spinning around the sun, or actually they're both spinning around each other. It turns out, um, you know, the sun is totally stable. The sun gets moved by us as well because we pull on the sun 
and other planets pull on the sun as well. So, you know, we're all sort of wobbling around in reality and including your bottle of water. <laughs> um, so everything's moving. And so as this water, this ink flows into the water, you see these beautiful patterns. They're just gorgeous. And that's chaos. So chaos can be gorgeous if you're stepping back and looking at it like the tapestry, the weaving, you know, the little tiny details can seem uh, abrupt and awkward. You know, there's a transition from one color to another color, you know, in a tapestry or something. Or as texture changes, you know, you've been going with this one texture and then there's another texture. And, you know, so that can feel abrupt and, you know, it can actually be deadly to individuals. You know, so on a specific, very detailed level, things can look ugly. But when you step back, there are these beautiful patterns that are made. And the same is true with fractals. And that's actually kind of what the fluid dynamics is. You know, there's a lot of fractal stuff going on there. Um, if it's not all fractal, I'm not sure. But, but the idea is that there's in the, if you step back and look at the larger picture of reality, of your life, of the lives of the people around you, there's this, this beautiful flow to it that that creates interestingness to life that creates uh you know this this grand story and that is what can help you through these smaller times in your life where things are are horrible and things are depressing when you try to control things and it totally fails and then you have to let go of what you've lost you know what you wanted but you can find something that you really wanted most deeply, a more general something that you wanted that was so important that you had, and you can regain that in some new way, some different way with different details. So yeah, so that's how I've sort of become comfortable, more comfortable anyway, with unpredictability, randomness, chaos, all this craziness of my life and maybe it'll help you. So I hope you check out the links um, going to my blog at turl.org, T-U-R-I-L dot O-R-G, and look for the how to be comfortable with chaos uh, pod, uh, post, podcast post, and look for the links there. And um, try something out yourself. See if See if you can you can uh, find ways to be comfortable with not being in control, comfortable with not being able to get where you wanted to get initially, but finding a new way to get somewhere that's maybe better, maybe not as good, but still good. Either way, um, I wish you well, and um, I'll leave you with that. Yeah, if you want to contact with me, uh, like I said, turl.org. You can also find me at Reddit as the user turl, T-U-R-I-L. So that's reddit.com slash user slash turl. And uh, you can contact me via email at thewiseturtle at gmail.com if you have any questions or I can even offer you to guide you through the speaking up process if you'd like um, via email or maybe something else. Um, anyway, uh, I wish you luck and leave you with that. Namaste.